Today's episode is brought to you by Chiropractic Mastery. Wouldn't it be great if your spinal problems and misalignments could correct themselves? And if you didn't need the same thing done to you every time you visit the office, best of all, what if your chiropractor could check and tell when your body didn't need any help that day at all? MCT chiropractors correct nervous system imbalances directly so the body is best able to correct the spinal misalignment on its own. This is done without twisting, popping, cracking, or causing pain. It's so honoring to the body that most people experience a tremendous amount of improvement very quickly, often without the soreness and stiffness that may follow a more traditional chiropractic adjustment. Your chiropractor can find out more by visiting chiropracticmastery.com and checking the seminars tab. And if you're looking for a chiropractor that will custom build the most painless yet effective chiropractic adjustment for you on every visit to the office, go to chiropracticmastery.com and click on the referrals tab. Hey everyone, and welcome to the KiddoCast for Chiropractic Families, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care for children by sharing the experiences of the doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk with pillars in the alternative healthcare world to give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics and the director of the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach, California. And guys, today we're going to be hearing not from a doctor, um, not from a traditional healer per se, but from a parent. Um, Aaron Tullius is a friend, someone that I've known for about 10 years. Um, Most of you guys know that I bought my current chiropractic practice from her husband, Dr. Steve Tullius. And Aaron in this episode shares a very candid story of her experience with her son and pandas, which is um, a significant uh, neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, and uh, I really want to thank Erin for her um, openness and her vulnerability in sharing the story because it's an important one and I think a lot of people need to hear it. A little bit about Erin. Like so many who come to learn of unconventional methods for healing, her journey to become a healer began out of necessity. Her son had begun exhibiting unusual symptoms that no doctor seemed to have answers or treatments for, and as his condition worsened daily, she flew furiously into research mode and became so obsessed with finding his treatment she forgot to take care of herself. Many late nights and many doctors finally led her to answers and treatments that were successful. She saw her son's health as well as her own improving. Though many treatments were utilized, the one constant for both of them was homeopathy. She had learned so much about the remedies she had taken. I'm sorry, they had taken, but when the opportunity to take a class in homeopathy arose, she jumped at the chance to learn how to dose herself and her son with more certainty. Before the conclusion of that class, she committed uh, to herself to a two-year program to become a practicing homeopath. For more than 15 years, she's dedicated herself to learning about health. She trained as a fitness instructor, studied fundamental building blocks and nutrition, became involved with those who were advocating for healthy food production practices, served the Birth and Baby Resource Network, and wrote and published a book on the mental-emotional connection 
to weight loss. Always a seeker of information, she created an online forum for parents who were searching for answers beyond the medical model to help their children. The initial group consisted of about 30 moms who had researched all night long and presented their findings, both through research and anecdotally to each other. She's eternally grateful to the mothers who spent those long hours with her. And now that her own son is greatly improved, she's dedicated to assisting others on their healing journey. So guys, I hope you enjoy this candid interview with Aaron Tullius as much as I did um, doing it. And um, without any further ado, here's Aaron Tullius. Okay, we are live. Hey, everybody. Sorry for all the confusion. I'm here with um, my good friend, Dr. Uh, well, no, you're not a doctor. You're no. a lay doctor. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm so used to talking to doctors, I get confused. Um, we're here with our good friend, Aaron Tullius. And today, we're going to talk about um, a topic which is um, I think it's really important. It's one of those things that, uh, you know, when I, when I see uh, these types of kids in my clinic, uh, we know that there's going to be a long road of healing ahead of us. Aaron, we can share a story and talk a little bit about what this all means, but we're going to be talking about pandas and pans today. Um, so Aaron, give us a little bit of a background of just who you are, um, how you were exposed to pandas and pans and, you know, kind of what your journey has been up until this point. Sure. So as you know, and um, others may as well, but my husband is a pediatric chiropractor as well. Um, and he was dealing with a lot of kids on the spectrum. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because we, uh, even though we had a kid experiencing some of the same symptoms, when you have a kid that suddenly uh, regresses into um, what we now call pandas and pans, uh, you don't necessarily see the forest for the trees at that point because, you know, you think, well, maybe it's because they're four years old and going through, you know, a difficult time, or maybe it's because, you know, something happened and, and now they're, they're having an emotional response. So, um, but the, the story goes that um, we were, uh, we sold our business. We decided we were going to travel, um, for an extended period of time. And our first stop was uh, in Florida. And um, I became very, very ill when we were in Florida. Um, Flu-like symptoms, um, you know, horrible sinus problems, uh, very, very high fever. Um, and uh, I now attribute that to um, mosquito bites and Lyme disease, but, um, that's a whole other story. So, um, a couple of weeks after that is when he first started, uh, my son first started, um, exhibiting some of strange behaviors is kind of what we thought of it as, um, he started burping very forcefully, um, to the point of vomiting, um, over and over and over again, and again, you know, I mean, he was four years old at the time. So we thought it was a behavioral thing. He was trying to get attention or, you know, whatever at the time. Um, and then little things started cropping up here and there. He would say that he couldn't walk anymore. Like he, he just, his legs wouldn't walk anymore. Um, he would say um, extreme refusal with like, little things like brushing teeth. Um, and 
this went on for quite a while and you know I think we just chalked it up to him being a little bit more difficult than other kids um but they didn't really seem because they were so psychiatrically driven they didn't really seem like there was a physical cause at that point and um so uh things became uh worse and worse and um uh, eventually the summer that he turned seven he lost seven teeth and uh, there's a lot of science behind why um, losing teeth can cause huge flares in pans and pandas kids but um essentially that was kind of when everything just uh came to a screeching halt and we realized that there was definitely something going on for him physically um he became very violent he had never been a violent child ever. He was always just really loving, um, the kind of kid who would pick me a flower every time he would go outside, you know, just um, very affectionate and, and suddenly just um, became very anxious. He didn't want to leave the house mm-hmm. um, for anything, even if it, it didn't matter if I told him, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter. Um, so there was some really extreme anxiety going on. Um, emotional ability, which is um, a regression of uh, what, what most people would think of as like an age regression where he would, um, you know, he's always been a very bright kid, but he would start talking baby talk or, you know, doing um, very uh, childlike things. Yes, he was a child, but I mean, younger than, than what's age appropriate at the time. So, um, and, uh, yeah, so we sought out, um, we went to our pediatrician who essentially told us, yeah, um, he has, uh, either pans or pandas and, uh, and he, uh, suggested that we move to the countryside and that was the um the extent of the treatment that was offered um and so as a parent uh that becomes very very difficult um Aaron, who's your pediatrician back then uh we were using bob sears yeah. um, who is a great guy yeah. um but uh you know obviously things like that are are um they're not helpful in the moment to the parent, you know, when I'm well, watching him. The reason I ask is I, I'm just fascinated that somebody even acknowledged right. this, this diagnosis because the conversations that I have with um, physicians, whether they're pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, whatever, they'll tell you that pandas is extraordinarily rare. Like nobody ever has it. We never see it. There's no such thing, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, but I mean, it's, I always look at it from this perspective, like, you know, your husband's a chiropractor, I'm a chiropractor. Why is it that we see these cases all the time and nobody else sees them? You know what I'm saying? Um, So it sounded a lot like, you know, you were seeing Bob, I just didn't know for sure. Um, Anyway, continue. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's really important is that, you know, we are not the only parents who were, who were experiencing these things. And, um, you know, I, I run a group on Facebook of over 3,500 parents now, and this is only the parents who want to treat their kids naturally. So without um, just backing up a little bit. So 
Um, I ended up finding out that conventional treatment of pandas and pans was essentially prophylactic antibiotics, at least until the age of 18, um, IVIG or plasmapheresis, which um, if you don't know what those are, they're extremely um, invasive um, treatments. And, and the antibiotics, while not nearly as invasive as IVIG or plasmapheresis, didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me because... Um, we were noticing a lot of gut symptoms and, um, as you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware, a lot of, uh, antibiotics and, and for a long extended period of time, uh, create gut, gut dysbiosis. So, you know, it, it logically, it just didn't add up to me. Why, why were these kids who already have gut dysbiosis being treated with prophylactic antibiotics? Um, sure some of their symptoms were going away um but it's like putting a band-aid on a bullet wound you know it, it's not um it's not addressing what's going on and what's causing all of these symptoms in the first place um so um yeah, so I, I ended up starting this group um on Facebook. It's called Saving Our Pandas for any of you parents who are interested in, in joining and learning what, uh, what other parents out there are doing. Um, and it's grown to about 3,500 parents and, uh, I get about a hundred requests a week. So, you know, this is not something that's rare. Um, and I think I really want to stress that, you know, I think a lot of parents assume that, you know, um, their child is an angry child or an aggressive child or um, food refusal is a huge thing with pans and pandas. Um, uh, some kids get really bad ticks. Um, and kind of what I'm seeing is that there's, um, there's a bit of a divide um, when it comes to pans and pandas and that's that um, there's almost two kinds of reactions. Like some kids will get the tics and anxiety and other kids will get the mm. really bad rage and aggression. Mm. Um, but it's not typical that you see a kid with extreme rage and also extreme tics. Um, so there's something going on there as far as um, what particular part of the brain that I feel that PANS is affecting in those moments. Yeah. When you say ticks, you're, you're talking about stimming behavior that we see with kids on the spectrum, yeah? Well, yes, but also um, very interesting types of ticks, like things that you wouldn't necessarily think of as a tick. Like mm. um, even, even my son's um, forceful burping could have been explained as a tick because it was completely uncontrollable. Um, Sounds like a vocal tick. <clears throat> yes, almost like a vocal tick. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, you know, I think when looking at at all of this, um, you know, my kid was on the the very far end of the spectrum. You know, he was um, very affected. Um, but I do think that there's a, this huge varying degree. So you've got some kids who might have um, strep throat, for example, and then all of a sudden they develop ticks and it's, and it's a very clear cut case of pandas. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got 
you know, kids like that who might have a few ticks or a few minor issues. And then, um, you know, we treat it with antibiotics in most cases. And then, and then those, um, ticks subside because you're getting rid of the strep, mm-hmm. but Hey, Aaron, hang on one sec. I, I want to take a step back real quick so that parents understand. So, so PANDAS stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infection. Um, I'm going to ask you a little bit about etiologies of this particular disorder a little later, but you're talking about gut dysbiosis and chronic disease. Um, we talk about chronicity all the time on this podcast. As a matter of fact, I was just talking about this with our good friend, Stan Holm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to lead, I guess, to another really big question is, which is really like, why is this so stinking proliferative now versus five, 10, 15 years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's get to that a little later, but I want everybody who's listening to, to really think about this because you're talking about how it's a lot more common people, um, you know, try to poo poo it, but it's, it's, it's there. I mean, I, I see these kids mostly with oppositional type behavior, but I see right. them. Um, and they've been through the ringer just like you have. They've been recommended all these stupid things, which make things worse so that we can make the symptoms just a little bit better in the interim. And it doesn't, it doesn't give these kids a good quality of life. Um, so let's, let's get back to that a little bit later. And now that you guys kind of know what this is, we can lead into that, uh, in a couple of minutes. So, um, continue, Aaron, please. Uh, sure. So, um, just kind of speaking to the, the, um, point about why we're seeing a lot of this now. So, um, so there's, uh, you know, our society now, as we all know, is more toxic than it ever has been in the past. And so we're dealing with this massive amount of toxicity and it starts at birth. So, um, for example, um, I had Epstein-Barr virus or diagnosed mono at 18 years old. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of doctors would like to dismiss that. I was treated with antivirals at the time and, um, you know, and then of course it's supposed to be gone, but at the same time, my doctor actually did tell me that, that he recognized that Epstein-Barr is essentially in your body for, for life. Um, and, uh, so I think that predisposed my son because, uh, obviously I was carrying the virus and, um, you know, pass that down to him congenitally. In addition, we also have genetic detox pathway limitations. So we're talking about, um, uh, genetic, uh, mutations like MTHFR, like COMT, like CBS, like MAOA. So all of these mutations, um, even though, um, we talk about there being a genetic predisposition, but at the same time, um, it's also, there's also epigenetics. The science of epigenetics states that essentially you have the ability and the power to turn off or on these genetic expressions. So, so even though we might be predisposed genetically, we have this overload of toxicity. So pesticides, all the lotions you're putting on your body, all the cleaning supplies, um, vaccines, EMFs, all of these things that are so um, prevalent in our society. And um, become very um, uh, overwhelming to the immune system in general. Um, so 
then you add things like emotional trauma or traumatic brain injury, which by the way, um, pretty much every kid has some sort of a traumatic brain injury. If you watch a little kid um, learning to walk, um, they're going to hit their head on a table, they're going to fall and, you know, smash their head against the playground equipment. You see it all the time. Um, so, you know, when I talk about tra traumatic brain injury, that's not, you know, like this, you know, major car accident or something like that, but it's, it's all of these little injuries that add up over time. Mm. Um, and so these are causing all of these predispositions, predispositions in the host, um, or the, the person, um, the child. So once you get to the point where, um, essentially the bucket gets fuller and fuller and fuller, you add into that, that they have limitations in their detox pathways then um, all of a sudden you have a bucket that's overflowing with toxicity with nowhere to go. Mm. Um, and, and so in many children, we'll see the brain become impacted. Mm. I mean, it seems like, you know, strep tends to be the tipping point in a lot of these kids because you're right. Methylation pathway problems are a hallmark of this type of uh, condition. Um, that's why pandas look so much like autism, mm -hmm. um, even though there's different etiologies. I was smiling at you earlier, not because I was happy that you're a COMT person, but because <laughs> me and Britt are both homozygous for both COMT snips. Yeah. Um, and God, I tell you, man, I have like one too many glasses of wine or have one too many histamines and boy, howdy, do I feel like absolute crap. Um, Monica Berger, who was on the podcast last season, talks about COMT as being the crazy brain snip. Mm. And um, you see this, you see this in these kids for sure, because it, it's just one little thing will set them off. And then you'll see the most crazy, violent, oppositional behavior that you, you've yeah. ever seen in anybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you add in MAOA, which is the, the warrior gene, and, and you see um, the extreme aggression that we were seeing, like with our son. So, um, but it's interesting because, for example, you know, my, my genetics, um, looking at them, I'm homozygous, which means that I only have one copy, um, the same copy of that gene um, for several. I think it's like 10 separate um, mutations, whereas my son only had uh, two or three. So, you know, even though, um, so it just goes to show you that, uh, even though my genetic, um, detox pathways were extremely limited, I read, led a fairly healthy lifestyle for most of my life until stress, um, quite honestly, <laughs> until stress entered the picture. And, um, and then I was diagnosed with uh, chronic Lyme disease, but, mm. um, but, you know, even still that was, uh, you know, four years after my son's diagnosis. So I was able to, um, you know, maintain a relatively healthy lifestyle despite all of those genetic, um, detox pathway mutations. So, you know, um, I, I didn't know if we were going to go down this pathway, uh, when, when we first talked about putting together this podcast, but, um, I think we need to talk about it because it's a common underlying theme with everything that we talk about and that's, that's stress. So even, even you and I who mm -hmm. know better are conditioned <laughs> to kind of shrug off stress, Yeah. right? We shrug it off because it's a regular part of, of life. Um, and as you, I love the bucket analogy because I use that all the time, right? Our bodies don't know the difference between structural, environmental and emotional stressors. They're stress 
and there isn't stress. Mm -hmm. When you have structural or environmental stressors, um, I mean, and your body is not capable of tolerating certain things because of certain genetic mutations, it doesn't take a lot of emotional stress to set you you up for failure. Um, And because we're being bombarded, like you said, by EMS, we're being bombarded by things like glyphosate and other environmental toxins. Um, We're being bombarded by... um, totally genetically mutated gliadin, gluten, whatever, uh, domesticated grains like corn, um, casein and, and, and hormones and, and, and milk, our bodies are not set up to succeed anymore. Um, and so we add emotional stress on top of it and it's just a recipe for disaster. Um, I know Steve does this in his practice, but I do it too. One of the most important outcomes I use is heart rate variability because I want to see how well my my patients are adapting to the effects of stress. Um, HRV is really, really useful in determining what's called fatigability. It's, it's how well your body does when confronted with something that's really so-called distressful. And most of my patients come up and they're in the freaking toilet when I first see them. Um, even after doing a lot of corrective work, it's still really difficult to keep that HRV in that sweet spot because we're being bombarded by stressors all the time. When people come into my, my clinic and I know Steve is the exact same way, you know, people ask me like, okay, so, you know, when, you know, when can I stop coming in to see you? And my response is, okay, when you stop getting stressed, which is never, Mm -hmm. that's why chiropractic exists. That's why other allied healthcare providers to do this type of work exist is because stress is, is ubiquitous to our culture. When you take it as an adult, we have way more prefrontal cortex development than kids do. So it's a lot easier for us to at least appreciate it, if not uh, do something about it. But kids, stress does something to kids' brains that we're just now starting to realize through a lot of this neuroscience research that we're coming through that um, it didn't exist even a generation ago. Um, It's crazy. Yeah, so um, we're actually seeing a lot of, um, now granted, like we said in the beginning, I'm not a doctor, but this is just observational um, from dealing with thousands of parents over the last several years. So um, some of the kids that that are presenting with pandas and pans don't have a physical trigger. So they didn't get sick. They didn't Mm -hmm. get, you know, but they had extreme emotional stress. And I was just reading... um, something, uh, it's a book called Crooked by Forrest Moridi and um, talks about um, the effects of stress on World War I vets. And so what he was saying is that, you know, typically we think of um, the stress response as a fight or flight response. But um, in the case of um, these soldiers coming back from World War I, they were ex- exhibiting symptoms of what they called shell shock. So, um, this type of stress response was far different than anything that had happened before. And this was primarily because of trench warfare. So these are uh, guys that are in the trenches, right? They can't get up and get out um, because if they start to go forward, then they may be killed by their enemies. And if they try to escape and go backwards, um, the same thing would happen. So essentially they're stuck. And we see the same thing with kids when they feel completely stuck. And it's this, um, it's a different type of stress response um, on a, on a physical level as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, stress is largely overlooked and, and even if it is acknowledged, um, just as an example, when I first started seeing different uh, doctors and specialists about my own uh, Lyme disease, they told me that I needed to decrease my stress. 
<laughs> I said, hmm, <laughs> well, <laughs> considering I live. I live with the source of my story. Well, yeah, and I, you know, it's what, a, what an insulting thing to say to a patient. Like, just be less stressed. Well, no, that's not possible. Our genes have mutated to such a point at this stage in our evolution where we cannot get away from stress. Right. That's what industrialization does to us. So we have to do better to at least address the effects of those stressors so that our bodies don't continually mutate and we fall apart, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just always found that really funny. I'm like, I, I don't really see the possibilities of that. I can decrease, um, or I mean, uh, manage my stress, but I can't necessarily decrease my stress because it has to do with, you know, my child. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> my responsibility trumps that uh, ability to, to decrease my stress. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I think, um, you know, it's, we've been talking here for about half an hour about all this stuff. And I think a lot of parents who are listening can recognize a lot of these traits and maybe not their own kids, but kids they see in the community. Um, we know that autism is increasing in prevalence. Um, I can't remember what the most recent stats are, but I know it's less than or more than one in 50. Uh, it's probably now more than one in 40, especially with boys. Um, we know these cognitive delays are much more ubiquitous, much more common than they were even one generation ago. Birth mm -hmm. trauma is a huge contributor to it. Cortisol production in utero and after birth is a huge part of that. Environmental toxicity is part of it. So the real question then, and this is how I kind of want to end our time together, is what the heck do we do about it? Um, I mean, again, I, I'm a chiropractor. I take care of kids. I know Steve takes care of lots of kids, especially kids on the spectrum. Um, and we have our solutions, but for moms, um, and dads out there who see these kids, whether they're their own or kids in the community, and they're feeling completely exacerbated, defeated. What do we do? How do we fix this? Yeah. So I think a lot of times, um, you know, parents now are running to their doctors and, and trying to get help. And, and unfortunately, because there's, there's number one, a lack of doctors that are uh, willing and able to treat these kids, um, and number two, um, you know, there's there's difficulty also in getting those um, in getting into those doctors and getting them to really be present with what's going on with the current research. And that's not their fault. It's they're overloaded with patients, and you know they've got five month waiting lists, and and they're doing their best, and they want to help these kids, but. Um, but so much of the information is, you know, cutting edge and brand new. And so, um, you know, it, they tend to hone in on one or two things, um, one or two pieces of the puzzle instead of looking at this whole big, broad picture. So um, I always say that the first um, first line of defense is always to heal the gut. Um, and that's because healing the gut allows the opportunity for your kid to um, fully express <clears throat> the best possible immune system. So, um, and, and there's a number of ways to do that. Um, you know, a lot of parents have seen success on paleo diet, um, autoimmune paleo protocol. Um, some see more success um, actually with, with some amount of grain in the diet. And, and I do feel that that has to do with um, allowing the sugars to um, penetrate the blood brain barrier. Um, so, 
uh, it is a bit of trial and error and it is not the easiest route to go. I will tell you that um, because when we first started the um, gut healing protocol, we started with the specific carbohydrate diet <clears throat> um, and it was essentially, um, you know, I had to rid my house of everything else that wasn't um, appropriate. Pretty much everything had to be made, um, you know, right away um, and uh, and at home. So, you know, you're talking about a lot of work on on any one parent. And it's not an easy road by any means, but um, but the rewards are definitely there. Um, but secondly, I think the most important thing is to um, get those detox pathways opened again. And I think that this is highly overlooked, um, even in the natural medicine community. So um, there's a lot of NDs and, and um, osteopaths and, and, uh, and chiropractors who are uh, trying to help kids. And, and again, I understand that completely. And I, and I think they have enormous hearts. Um, but in a child with a channelopathy or a detox pathway that is not opened, um, you're, you're not going to do them any good by trying to treat any of the pathogens that are present in their system. And this is again, why, um, I didn't, I didn't mention this, but I think a lot of, um, a lot of parents run to their doctor looking for testing. Um, and while testing can prove valuable and important, um, I also find that chasing a diagnosis is uh, not usually the, the best um, the best idea, especially in the beginning, because they're going to have pathogens. You know that they're obviously experiencing a large amount of symptoms, and when they are, it's because the host has become overrun with pathogen, and we understand that. Um, but, but at the same time, if they don't have those detox pathways open and then you start running killing protocols, even if it's an herbal protocol, I'm not talking about only antibiotics, any sort of killing protocol will then stir up things, um, kill all of these things and then not allow them to exit the system. So, um, it becomes very, uh, very much, um, this uh, roller coaster, um, if you will, where we see kids who will improve um, briefly and then tank again because they don't have those um, channels open for detox. And so, um, so they're not able to effectively um, get rid of those uh, pathogens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny because I know all the work that you've done with Ty. Um, I, I see it and I, I, I see you, I hear you. Um, I know there's a lot of parents out there who are probably feeling overwhelmed and they don't know what to do, especially if all they're, they're getting is meds because you know, that's the traditional solution for a lot of these kids. And I've even seen um, from over here, how much progress Ty has made. Um, because I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I, I did see Ty like right after you guys got back. I know Steve took a trip up to the coast with you and I remember seeing him and he's a totally different kid than, you know, before you guys moved away. And now I've seen the progress that he's made and all the healing that he's done. And that's doing no small part to the tireless work 
that you and Steve have done with him. Um, I think, you know, the take home message that I'd like to leave everybody with is listening, because I know this has been a really heavy cast, um, is if you guys want answers, connect with Aaron connect with other pandas parents because they've been in the trenches they've been they've been going through trial and error to try to figure out what works and what doesn't because i gotta tell you like mainstream med medicine is not really doing a very good job to address this stuff and the more toxicity that we're being exposed to the more of this is going to come out and the more of our kids are going to be sick and need our help so um aaron thank you for being with us I appreciate yes, thanks for having me. I, I fully, fully enjoyed it. And I hope that it does help some parents out there. Um, just to reiterate the, um, the Facebook group is called saving our pandas. Um, it's a private group. So you will need to answer a few questions in order, um, for me to, uh, approve you. Um, but you know, like I said, we're very welcoming of, of all new parents, um, parents that are new to the diagnosis and more than willing to help. So, well guys thank you so much i really appreciate you being on the podcast for those of you guys who are streaming live with us thank you for sticking through the whole 40 or so minutes that aaron and i have been talking mostly aaron sharing her story and uh, we will see you guys next week thank you bye bye bye